Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Good evening, everybody. It's lovely to uh, to be here with you uh, this evening. And this is the final week of our uh, Easter series. Um, and next week we start what promises to be really interesting few weeks. And it begins next week with uh, Team McGilvray, Ian and Jill, uh, engaging with the topic of creativity. So see if you can be here next week and catch catch them. But tonight. And on with tonight. And um, I'm not 100% sure about you, but I might be uh, might be a little bit deluded, but I like to think that I'm not a complete mug. Now, you're welcome. Perhaps you're even likely to want to disagree. But I prefer to think that I won't be ridiculously easy fodder for scammers or people trying to... Uh, trying to promote frauds and I think I generally have a fairly healthy scepticism about like weird stuff Um, and I value I think I hope I value the opinions of people who are trained and experienced in a particular field like for example medical advice responsible medical advice I'll hopefully listen to Um, I believe qualified climate scientists and I don't think that a conspiracy theory necessarily accounts for for everything despite what you may be able to find online and despite all of that the reason for saying that is despite all of that I um, profess and openly profess Christian faith and just before we go any further this talk is primarily pitched at people with some experience of the Christian that is, a follower of Jesus. But if that's not you, well, look, no worries. It's just good that you're here and I trust that you're able to make whatever necessary mental adjustments are required to make the next 15 or so minutes at least just a bit relevant and interesting. But I want us to consider what has just passed and that's Easter. And let's just consider what... Easter is all about, it's all about the impossible occurring. Now, there's a person dead for three days and comes to life and interacts with a range of people and this event is the completely unnegotiable, absolutely core basis of our Christian faith but it seems impossible. And maybe if you've been a Christian for a while, the fact that you base your faith, which, by the way, hopefully really informs life, you base your, your faith on an event that has no real rational explanation and is by the natural order of things impossible. And... Maybe it's just gradually becoming less extraordinary 
uh, the longer you're a Christian. Maybe you're just used to hearing about it, used to singing about it. And maybe you're even verging on being somewhat blasé about it. But let's just straight up acknowledge that ridiculously unlikely... Thanks, that was the first slide I should have said to Anne. Oh, it'd be good to show that one now. Good for the second one now, Anne. Thanks. Um, let's just acknowledge that ridiculously unlikely things can and do occur. Now, maybe the mundane, like you drop your car keys on the beach and you find them, how likely is that? Or your kids willingly suggesting they've had actually had enough time on their device and they want to put it away and come and help with tea. Um, or maybe it's momentous things. Uh, happenings that have impacted hundreds of millions of people and and caused history to change on the screen. Two images, and maybe you, like me, are of the vintage where as a young person to, to conceive that Nelson Mandela wasn't actually in prison on Robben Island but was actually the president of South Africa, that just would have seemed... Surreal, it would have seemed impossible. Or the other side, or maybe that you didn't have to pass by machine gun toting guards at Checkpoint Charlie to get into East Berlin. Because communism, the, the communist bloc, the USSR, crumbled. The wall came down, the Soviet Union broken up, the Cold War essentially over... People could travel freely through through Europe. Now that just, until the, the late 80s, that just didn't seem feasible, did it? So these these events, um, don't need that one, Anne, but maybe the next one. These events were certainly extraordinary, but maybe not impossible. Implausible, certainly implausible, but not impossible. And... Now, it seems to me that God was almost certainly directing these events and he's behind them, but they could, they could be accounted for without his intervention, without divine intervention. But the resurrection, no. It's got to be 100% God. There is zero possibility of a human contribution to that, to the resurrection. And so God obviously is in the business of doing the impossible. You probably don't need the slide anymore, Ed. Um, and let's just have a little look at the history that God has of doing the impossible. Now his miraculous interventions take various forms as described and recorded in the Bible, maybe directly speaking to people, acts of deliverance and judgment, his healing, blessing people, various signs like the intervention of a prophet or pointing to a promise. And let's just dip into the Old Testament for a couple of reminders. What about the escape from Egypt, the various plagues? the parting of the Red Sea. They can't happen, humanly speaking. That has to be God. Elijah, 
his encounter with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Daniel lowered into a, uh, a den with hungry lions, out unscathed. And then there's the sort of bizarre stuff, like an axe head that floats, or Balaam's talking donkey. I mean, this is God doing the, the impossible. They don't just happen by human standards. And staying in the Old Testament to hone in on resurrection, uh, I think there's, there's glimpses, probably plenty of glimpses to be found and in the, in the Old Testament of looking forward to resurrection. Here's an example. Uh, Psalm 16, which we, which we read, particular verse 10 where David writes, Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. And I'll quote one commentator writing about that verse. And uh, they say, David's hope is that he would not be left in the realm of the dead. He doesn't merely want to be saved from an immediate physical danger, but to overcome death. So in other words, David actually envisaged resurrection. And we'll just have a, a little, little turn to the New Testament, aside from what we find in the four Gospels directly involving Jesus. There's also plenty of uh, instances of the miraculous, of God's intervention, of God doing the impossible. How about these, all recorded in Acts? There's Peter. Uh, he's released from prison after Herod had him arrested, probably the day before he was to be ex uh, tried and executed. Uh, what about the guy who, while listening to Paul late into the night, fell out of the window and he's dead? He didn't stay long. Raised to life. Uh, what about Paul's journey to Rome? Um, they land in Malta after being blown off course in this ferocious storm. There should have been lots of deaths from that, uh, from that shipwreck. There weren't any. And then once he's on land, no ill effects from being uh, bitten by a deadly snake. So lots of examples of God just pursuing his purposes through the miraculous. And so just to reiterate, uh, our Christian faith, it stands or falls on the miraculous, on the impossible, well, that is, on Jesus' death and his subsequent resurrection. And I hope that we accept and that we actually embrace that. But if you're somebody that actually feels unsure or a little bit awkward about accepting what doesn't seem to be rational, don't push it aside. There's plenty of people around, plenty of people here, including myself, that would be happy to talk about it. But I do hope that we, along with David, do actually look forward to the day of our resurrection, that promised day, that day that, if you're anything like me, just blows my mind of trying to envisage it. But I'd like us now to, um, to ponder, I'd like to invite us to ponder the connection between faith and the miraculous. And uh, miraculous meaning God doing the impossible. And I wonder, is 
seeing or experiencing maybe firsthand something miraculous, does that lead to enhanced faith for those people that maybe already have faith or maybe believing for the first time? And you'd think that, sure, it would, yes, please, that would help. Of course it would. I just want to take a moment to reflect on what Jesus had to say and he he basically sounded a warning or pointed out a few harsh realities in relation to that question because Matthew 12.39 records him saying what the wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign and Luke records him in uh, in verse 16 when he when he said look if they you can guess who they is they do not listen to Moses and the prophets they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead and then you've got Psalm 106 that reminds its hearers uh, look when our fathers were in Egypt they gave no thought to your miracles they didn't remember your many kindnesses and they rebelled they rebelled by the sea so let's just take that on board please let's take that warning on board and not be people that have short memories about the way God acts or maybe not be people that need the, a regular whiz-bang thing to, uh, to bolster our faith. But I think, however, God certainly is in the business of doing the unexpected and the impossible, the redemptive, and he does want to lead us and he does want to bring us good. So I think we can be amazed, we can be grateful for the miraculous, for healings, for restoration, for turns of events that really can only be from God. But hopefully we won't make our faith contingent on these things. And I just want to focus on on a well-known verse, Romans 8.28. For some of you, probably you can bring to mind what it says. And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then you might recall Proverbs 3 verse 6, which is, in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. And thanks Warren for that boppy reminder at the beginning of our time together tonight. Um, And so with that in mind, with Romans 8.28, And Proverbs 6 in mind with God working for the good of those who love him and making our paths straight. I want us to to invite us to move from a, yep, that makes sense, yes, I get it, cognitive level to more uh, in the guts, emotional level. From, From just thinking to being, to feeling. And I want to say, does it ring true? deep down and um, ask you know for us for you what grates or what hurts what doesn't seem right or what isn't fair or what seems impossible I want to invite us just to, to sit with that just for a moment because I think it goes without saying that for most of us, there are 
parts of life or seasons that have been or are or will be very, very hard. God works for the good of those who love him. Really? Is that true? So how come it just doesn't seem like that sometimes? And I think we've got to somehow reconcile that we believe in a God who is loving, who is powerful, who is resurrected, um, and is loving and powerful in a way that is way beyond our comprehension. And yet, sit with the fact that there is much pain and much injustice and much that is disappointing and so many hopes that just don't seem like they'll ever get fulfilled. And what do we do with that? How do you reconcile those things? Why doesn't God work things out the right way? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's helpful to recognise what we do know. What is certain is a few. For those people that trust in Jesus, we do know your sins are forgiven. We do know that your sins are forgotten. We do know that you're right with God that you are God's child. We know that you are deeply, deeply loved by the creator of this world. And we know that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you from the love of God. Your eternity is guaranteed. And that is an eternity that is good beyond measure. So pain, tears, they'll be gone. In creation, redeemed, restored. And these are big, big, big things. So, in a sense, the impossible has occurred, hasn't it? And us, you, I, we are the beneficiaries. We're in the middle of the impossible being a reality. Forgiven, sins forgotten. We're right with God. We're God's kids. We're loved. Nothing can separate us from his love. Eternity guaranteed. Pain, tears gone. Redemption, restoration for creation. So, only an all-loving and an all-powerful God can promise and deliver on these things. So tonight, for the last part of this uh, this talk. I want to pose a question which is in light of this reality, in light of the resurrection or the impossible, how do we live? Now, should it change anything? And if so, what? How do we live? And I'd like us to consider Paul's sentiments read uh, earlier that are recorded in Philippians and here Paul writing as a prisoner says these often quoted words. And they are, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the sentiment behind these words seems 
reasonably self-explanatory to me. It seems that death doesn't hold the fear for Paul. It seems he's confident of being with Jesus for eternity. And he freely acknowledges that that's a great thing. However, while he's alive, he wants to invest himself in the purposes of Jesus. And maybe that's really helpful for us in considering the question of how do we live in light of the resurrection? Death shouldn't hold fear. Obviously there's unease and uncertainty. Eternity is guaranteed. But how do we live in a way which invests ourselves in God's purposes? So here's a few things that came to mind just as I pondered what living in light of the resurrection actually looks like, is fleshed out. I'm going to mention, I think, five things and um, invite people, if you want to pick up on any of them, you want to reflect, you want to share something which is relevant or helpful, then and Chris, can we make the microphone available? I think we can afterwards. Doesn't matter though. We'll, we'll work it out anyway. So feel free to uh, to contribute. How do we live? Well, I think we can live confidently, but our confidence needs to be in God rather than ourselves. Live confidently, because God is completely trustworthy. He's faithful as a rock, as our rock. He's our deliverer, our refuge, our strength. We can say that and we can own those things with confidence. And I think in light of the resurrection we can live realistically. And I think by that I mean let's not deny that there is or has been or soon there'll be grief in life and there'll be com- discomfort and there'll be death. Let's not deny that. And not denying that our God could avert this, but sometimes chooses otherwise. So, a lack of love on his behalf? I don't think so. But we don't have the full picture to understand why at the moment. And I think we can live relationally. And I think living the way of Jesus really should be a solo quest and the mere fact that we're here tonight testifies that uh, we value relationship but I think it's good as many of us many many of us already do and I think really well be intentional intentional about connecting with people about being vulnerable being appropriate as uh, being vulnerable as it's appropriate and being open And I think richer relationships and greater meaning await if that's uh, a priority for you. And I think we can live spiritually. And by that I mean, I think it's not our fault. We can't do anything about it. But we live in a, uh, a time and place which is very here and now. We need tangible stuff. We need material things. And uh, I don't think much energy goes into acknowledging the, the transcendent. 
And I think lots of people in different cultures now and throughout history have had a much greater sense of maybe their soul is one way to put it. So I want to encourage us, in particular myself, but to cultivate practices that encourage us to, to listen, to reflect and to pray. And finally, I think we can live courageously and with meaning. And I'm, um, I think I'm starting to get to an age where I realise this, that life, even if it's a long life, I'm sure it'll just seem like it's fleeting, really fleeting. And you may have heard something similar, but I read of a study where um, elderly people were interviewed and asked, if you could change one thing about the way that you've lived, what would it be? If you could rewind, rewind time, and the number one answer was, take more risks. Take more risks. And I take it that that doesn't mean you know, more skydiving or, you know, crazy driving or something. But I take it means that have, be prepared to have those meaningful relationships, have those difficult conversations, tell people how much you value them or love them, choose a vocation where there's purpose and meaning, stuff like that. Be prepared to share your faith if you're a person of faith. Share the gospel. Be a participant in the adventure that it is of being involved in God's purposes. Take an active interest in the issues of the day, etc., etc., etc. So, live courageously and meaningfully. Live spiritually. Live relationally. Live realistically and confidently. And why? Because, well, remember, the impossible has occurred and as a result of that, you and I, we are deeply, deeply loved and cared for for eternity.